0: Okay, we're recording now, so we should be good to go. All right. Welcome, everybody, to meetup number 129 of uh, uh, the TOK. Uh, today, I took uh, the seat of Bart, um, and I'm very happy to be here. Uh, thank you, Bart, for uh, letting me uh, host this operator panel. Uh, today, we are welcoming uh, three of our members. Um, Please welcome uh, Sergei, uh, who is the Group Product Manager at Percona. Uh, we have uh, Julianne, who is the CEO at Annie Nines. Um, and we have Nick, who is Principal Developer Advocate at OnDat. Uh, welcome to the three of you. Um, so, you. today we are, are going to speak about operators. Uh, it's, it's a fairly hot topic in, in the data and Kubernetes community um the the, the operator pattern for kubernetes actually uh, came up in 2016 so it's quite it's quite an old concept uh, yet i feel only in the last maybe two years um the tool has really started to come up in conversation and be um quite a hot topic um so we are going to start the conversation, but really trying to understand what's an operator and, and what can you do with that. Um, so my first question, and, and Sergey, you go. Let's start with you. Um, can you share your your opinion, like your take on what what is a, a Kubernetes operator?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So Kubernetes operator is a piece of code that helps users to automate the deployment and what's more important I believe is management of the applications on Kubernetes. Uh, For databases, it means that you can deploy your database on Kubernetes with YAML manifests, right? Saying, hey, I need this container, I need this pod and somehow interconnect everything together. And then you need to configure your database so that it forms a cluster or something. And then to take a backup, you need to come up with some backup tool that is going to connect to your database and so on. But instead you can use an operator, which is going to do all the heavy lifting for you. So you don't need to do anything manually. You just say, hey, I need a cluster. I need this number of nodes and I need to expose it like this. You get a cluster, you get a service, it's up and running in decent amount of time you don't need to spend any time of yours and then you have an access to day two operations which means you can scale your cluster easily by just saying to kubernetes api hey kubernetes i want more nodes to my database cluster please do this for me and kubernetes does it for you through the operator code and you can take the backup you can perform upgrades through the operator and many more Right, it depends on the operator capability and if it is mature enough, you have more and more uh, use cases you can cover.
0: Very interesting about, the. thank you for the answer, again. and very interesting about the, the more use cases. Um, actually, Solomon Hikes, um, who is the founder of Docker, uh, wrote an interesting tweet about uh, operator, I'm quoting him here. He um, say that um, and Kubernetes, similarly to Docker was not designed to be a platform, uh, but more an extension of the Linux paradigm. And so he says that um, even like now like this, the Kubernetes uh, kind of extending this paradigm. Um, and he it says it say that they can be programmed with micro platform called operator um but yet like if if we look at um so i th- i think what solomon here said like it's it's pretty wide in terms of um sergei's answer was very focused on on database obviously but because it's the job um um and we are speaking about state stateful workload at data on kubernetes but i think it's interesting also maybe to consider this operator perhaps as something more um but it sounds like um that might not be the case like the um, the, the chief ar- architect at Suze, uh, Darren Shepard, um, also <laughs> voiced his opinion about that, um, saying that basically the, the only time that you really need to write an operator um, is for custom orchestration logic uh, for persistent system. I'm quoting him here. I'm gonna share all of this link in the chat if you want to check them out. Uh, for, for yeah systems that are highly available. So uh, obviously, Um, persistent system like databases is is what's needed. Um, Julian, like what's your take on operator? Um, And what do you, you know, at Anina, like, what do you use them for?
2: Yeah, so I agree with all that's been said before, Um, but I would uh, take another angle. Uh, It's two perspectives, I would say. Uh, First of all, um, what, what operators are usually used for is one aspect of it and the other, what it actually is uh, as a concept. Uh, first of all, the, the concept of operators has helped the acceptance and spread of the um, on-demand provisioning of dedicated service instances as a pattern, which, for example, we at N9 supply since 2013 based on a declarative um, technology called Bosch that comes from the Cloud Foundry ecosystem. I'm very happy to see that uh, this paradigm actually uh, has been brought into the Kubernetes ecosystem where it becomes more popular. And and that's all about uh, how to manage databases in a cloud native way. So um, it's very important to to see that this topic is not necessarily identical to the operator topic and that operators is just technical means on how to make that uh, implementation possible. When it comes to operators, uh, it boils down to, well, let's say more or less uh, custom CRDs or custom resource uh, definitions in Kubernetes as well as uh, controllers. So I think uh, when I think about uh, operators, I also simultaneously think about Kubernetes as becoming a standard API to uh, create um, declarative workloads. uh, And the operator paradigm is one way to implement Um, you know, the the CRDs, and describe them, as well as uh, to have a foundation to write operator code that, you know, makes something out of that persistent declaration that the CRD will teach Kubernetes to do. And um, if you then, you know, uh, start operating the lifecycle of databases, um, you'll also see that uh, there are some restrictions to this paradigm, for example, the reconciliation of external resources, that are represented within a Kubernetes cluster, let's say custom resources, uh, but actually, uh, um, you know, run somewhere else or are within a container and, and not directly a Kubernetes native object, so to say. Um, so to me, all of that is Kubernetes operators. But if I had to choose on one definition, I would say it's CRDs plus controllers. And its primary purpose is to make higher level degrees on high abstractions in Kubernetes that will then be translated into other uh, Kubernetes resources that are of a lower abstraction layer.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Julian. Um, and yeah, like maybe taking a step back, what's in- interesting is that Kubernetes was first developed to mainly in the state stateless workload and then gradually people started to, to love uh, Kubernetes as this platform and API for hosting um, any sort, any sort of, of computing workload. And people were like, wait a second, I need my data on there. And so um, I think that the technology and the community has evolved uh, towards this. And there are a few words that came often, Julian, in your answer, the word translation and declarative. Um, and I think generally the community want more and more um, ways to shape their infrastructure with with declarative um, in a declarative way. Um, uh, Nick, like what's what's your opinion on that? Like do you think like do you agree with, with what I just said and, and do you think there is more to be done um, to get our system to be more declarative?
3: Yeah, yeah. so actually to, to begin with I, I believe what Solomon um, kind of Intended to say is that probably Kubernetes. I mean, for me, is also becoming the new uh, glibc, right? So we are moving um, the abstraction, well, the, ab- the 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 abstraction layer. So now we know we are using Kubernetes, and a lot of people say, "Yeah, uh, we know that everyone will adopt Kubernetes when Kubernetes will be boring." So I guess the goal for everyone is that Kubernetes becomes just boring, right? You don't. We want to reach the point where you don't think you're running in Kubernetes. We're not there yet, right? There's a lot of things to do. But if you start with this ID, uh, I like to think that operator, of course, everything that was mentioned is absolutely right, fully agree with it. Uh, I mean, its goal is to encapsulate some intelligence into, declarative formats and some code with the controller like the business logic all of that and it's great it allows you to do things very easily copy paste at the speed of light right and that potentially an issue when you you have to troubleshoot but that's another you know you mentioned lack of standard etc that's part of it Uh, but where i'm going is that i like to think of kubernetes without thinking about like only running application i like to think about kubernetes itself as an automation platform and operators, what it allows you to do is to automate the automation. So if you look, you know, back we had Puppet, Chef, Ansible, Terraform, uh, but now you have things like uh, Abound and and Crossplane, right? These kind of things where by extending, and I agree with with Julian, like the main thing is about extending the API in Kubernetes. will ultimately. It's not about extending the Kubernetes API. It's just extending the Linux API so that you can, instead of having to write complicated Terraform scripts, well, you have YAML and you have the controller. so you can do pretty much whatever you want within the limits of the the, the Kubernetes abstraction. Things like you know provisioning and representing external object like a um, um, AWS instance or Azure instance or anything you can you can think of, you can bring this in communities in and leverage all the benefits, which are you know distributed system, scale, uh, elasticity, run anywhere, cloud agnosticity. Um, so yeah, the goal is really to get it uh, not as a platform, but just as an extension of the Linux kernel, like the new um, And But I still think like, there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, maybe at some point, even for specific use cases, abstracting the notion of operator, like database, they all have commonalities. Like storage capacity is storage capacity, replica is replica, sharding is sharding. So if we could start by having the same like naming conventions and the same path in in the different resources or have a tool that uh, can do that for you, that would be great because then It allows like any company, any project or any vendor or any open source project to start building things on top of that. So, okay, you want to do database as a service. Okay, you can build something on top of this abstraction, not on top of the operator, but on top of the abstraction that is defining how a database should behave. Right. So now as a a project, you can okay, whether it's Postgres, whether it's MySQL, Cassandra. It's the same terminology, the same you know, workflow, these kind of things. And then later on, of course, the other angle is just you use the operator pattern as an automation engine. Yeah.
2: That's a very Thank good you. point. Um, and if you, if you allow me to um, please, uh, please, connect to that. Um, you know, I've spent quite some time in the Cloud Foundry ecosystem and, and, and there we have the open service broker API as a standard on how to represent, well, let's say in the 12 factor manifest uh, language um, backing services. And um, we not only had the idea there of service instances, which again um, led to the paradigm of on-demand provisioning of dedicated service instance as the, the main paradigm, but also uh, service bindings, which is an abstraction on how to connect an application to a data service. In Kubernetes, obviously you, this involves creating a secret, But it also means that you have to create, let's say, a user with appropriate credentials within the service instance. And that is something that currently in the Kubernetes ecosystem, there is no widely spread um, um, standard to make that possible. In our operators, for example, uh, we added the notion of service bindings because we want to deliver a more comprehensive perspective on on using a database than than just to create the database instance itself and and that is one example on how you need more custom resource definitions to make uh, the the life of a database um you know fully automated than just to represent you know the sheer existence of a database cluster and um, it goes back to the question of uh, of kubernetes um, custom resource definitions and um, and and all what they can all do, including reconciliation of non-Kubernetes resources, for example, such as a database user. Mm -hmm. Thanks,
0: Julian. So Julian just shared an example of how at Animes they are using operator uh, in their products. I'd like, um, and Sergey, maybe you can start. um, If you could share with the audience uh, one of the reasons uh, why, um, you know, within one of the Percona products, like what's one use case uh, where you have to use an operator um, that you could share with
1: us? You're saying where you have to use the operator? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I cannot think of have used the operator, right? Because uh, I don't believe there is any kind of enforcement there. You, you, you're free to choose your own tool. But I, I would say that in uh, Percona, we see that lots of big companies, enterprises, uh, they are using operators to build their own database as a service. So they kind of using currently something, let's say they have their own scripts to provide databases for their developers or for their applications on the fly, or they're using something like Amazon RDS, uh, but they are not happy with the pricing, or they are not happy with the flexibility and some capabilities. They're missing them. And they are starting to research, okay, what can we do? What are the ready-to-go solutions that are available in the market? And they usually figure out, okay, we already have Kubernetes running some stateless applications, so what if we try running databases there? Oh, look. There are operators that are actually providing you a service. So you just deploy it; you have a database up and running, and uh, that's, I, I believe, the most the most common use case that we see. And uh, definitely, uh, the feedback that we get is uh, they can speed up the provisioning of the database greatly. They it's extremely easy to integrate their, existing uh, infrase code tools like terraform ansible whatever with kubernetes because you already have kubernetes API it's Crds are there CRs are there you don't need to change a lot of your code base and that's it they can get it up and running in days and have the all the flexibility and the functionality they they need mm-hmm.
0: thank you according to the the survey that that we we had we um, we surveyed over uh, 500 organizations, um, and I will, will paste the, the link to the, the data on Kubernetes report. Um, we asked um, the end user why they were using operators. 50% of them say that they use operators to simplify management in a multi or hybrid cloud environment. Uh, they also use them for scalability um, and improve the, the, the application lifecycle management. 45 of them say that they use them to automate operation for stateful workloads. So indeed, as I said, you don't have to use operators, but there is little, there is some reason um, to not use them and we are going to speak about them later, uh, but you should probably use them, right? You don't want to reinvent the wheel. So before we move on, Nick, I'd like to, to hear from you. On what, um, briefly, if you could describe right, why why you are using Operator um, at, at, on that.
3: Yeah, so operators is, I mean, for us, uh, we want to promote this idea of uh, shifting left. So the ability for developer to um, quickly test their code for, you know, around stateful application. So having the same experience, whether you're in production in... Um, you know, in the cloud or on-prem, or you want to start developing and test early, like on your laptop, have the same features, but most importantly, that are um, Kubernetes native. So if you want to enable encryption to do some performance test or enable replication or do anything, uh, one, it should, I mean, Kubernetes doesn't provide this thing by default, right? So of course, on that is there to provide this distributed storage replication, all those extra features. Uh, but more importantly, yeah, you need a database. So, of course, operator to, uh, to for developers to get database as a service is very important. That's one. And um, there's a second, which is also quite interesting, uh, probably in relation to GitOps and all this notion of, uh, you know, reducing the uh, security sort of, uh, um, uh, you know, blast radius, I would say, is that... For example, if you create certain you know users or with certain permissions with an operator, if you try later on to modify them using like the database admin tools, it will revert back, right? So the single um, the single source of truth is still Git. So an operator is a way to control um, to bring external systems like database, it's stateful application or anything, into Kubernetes, but also into the component of Kubernetes, into the paradigms, such as GitOps, such as, you know, uh, policy, you know, like Kiverno or uh, Rego and uh, um, OPA, Gatekeeper, all those things that are applicable to Kubernetes becomes applicable to databases and or anything else. Of course, with on that, we're much more focused on stateful workloads, like in the in OK, so that's database, message queuing, all that. Uh, but some, some, sometimes something that is not necessarily you know, a, a bit overlooked is this kind of security and single source of, source of truth uh, aspect, which it is one of the benefits of the uh, of the operator. Well, I agree. Like the main for us, the main thing is is around enabling database as a service for developer and bringing the developer into Kubernetes. Because to be honest, like developers, they don't really care about Kubernetes. They don't want to manage Kubernetes. They have a love-hate relationship with YAML, and this is the what we want to you know ask them: just use YAML, and that should be enough.
2: Well, <laughs> at this point, I'd like to say something about the idea of operators uh, in the context of database as a service. If you think about a company that needs to operate around, let's say a thousand Kubernetes clusters, because they have a lot of application developers, like, you know, pretty large enterprise. Um, How exactly do you organize a database as a service? Um, Do you put the operators on each cluster? Do you centralize operators on a cluster? And, and then compare that to, uh, for example, a virtual machine-based uh, solution that will that would integrate um, with a with a Kubernetes cluster based on uh, a proxy CRD, So something that will also create a service instance, but it will do that based on a VM. Because we have two products: we have the the virtual machine-based automation, and we have the container-based automation. I, I you know we we see reasons to have both. But especially for large organizations, the economy of, of having a fully featured operator on each cluster puts a burden on the, um, on the teams managing the Kubernetes clusters. And there is a break-even point where, well, let's say at least um, both Kubernetes uh, container-based as well as VM-based um, automation could um, you know, have you know, their advantages and disadvantages. Um, just to, to say that in my opinion, uh, database as a service is still a problem because if you if you think about um, a VM-based um, automation again, um, you have an Amazon account or Azure account doesn't matter. You install your automation on-demand provisioning of dedicated service instances again. You know, assuming it's declarative, so pretty much the same uh, paradigms apply. Uh, What's the end of that solution? It's the end of the quota within your infrastructure. So for example, the number of VMs that you can create simultaneously. It's usually hard to hit that. It's not impossible. We did that quite a few times. Uh, For example, in early days of the Frankfurt um, region in Amazon. Uh, But with the Kubernetes um, cluster, it's different because then your first boundary you'll hit is when your nodes are full. So you also need to have some kind of Autoscaling scaling mechanism for the Kubernetes cluster in place, uh, because otherwise you'll hit that boundary way long before you actually come to the boundary of your infrastructure account. So you basically, you're back in the idea of on-demand provisioning virtual machines, just with um, uh, the um, uh, um, deviation of, of going through parts first. And I still believe in the long-term, this is the way to go, but I'm saying, th- um, especially if you have a lot of clusters you also have to manage the life cycle of your operators assuming you install them a lot so you're creating a lot of operational friction here Mm -hmm. and and there are problems yet to be solved uh, to a sufficient uh, degree Uh, and i'm not a skeptic about operators i'm an enthusiast i'm just saying those are the pain points we currently see in in some of our customer accounts in this Maybe, maybe you guys have you know wonderful ideas on how to address that that I don't see but um, those are the things that I don't know painful to us sometimes.
3: No, and we, we to be honest, start- I, I totally agree with that and, and this is why uh, I think we all think that there's a lot of work to 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 be done there around the operator, especially when you want to use them at this kind of scale for you know specific like databases or these kind of things. yeah, totally agree. We
0: should start uh... Operator fan club here, you know, I think we have the first three members. (laughs) It might not become a big community, but (laughs) I'm sure we can- I'm sure it will. It It will. (laughs) Operator uh, for life.
2: (laughs) For the virtual machine-based solutions, we've created a framework to automate data services. And we never shared this publicly, uh, but we are doing that same thing again for operators. And, you know, we are happy to join forces with others because I believe the, operation, the operator SDK, at some point, it doesn't allow you to do enough. And at some other points, it just doesn't do enough. So there's so much room for uh, frameworks that, uh, that support the automation of databases. And we haven't even get, got started here. Uh, that's at least my impression. That's
0: very good uh, bridge for me, uh, Julian. Uh, the fact that you speak about perhaps joining forces or standard. Um, for the same uh, data on Kubernetes survey that we, we ran last year, um, 50% of, of the respondents say that uh, they are difficulty maintaining and this word is hard for me to say interoperability with operator, I did it. <laughs> um, 42% complain about uh, the quality. Some operator are great, some are not good because well, for, no standard and forty percent of them say there is no standards, and that's the problem. And and an interesting uh, stat that really surprised me is that sixty-one percent of this organization said that they were uh, building, like, writing their own operators, like, end users, um, which sounds, um, at least to me, um, not the right path to take. Uh, Sergey, do you have an opinion on that? Do you think? operator are, are something that end user ultimately need to develop? Or do you think that something that vendors are, um, should take care of?
1: I think moving forward, once we form this club and uh, have a standard approach to building the operators, then we would be saying, yes, uh, companies and uh, vendors need to build the operators. But right now, as we see the problem that uh, quality issues are there, operators are non-standard. I have a couple of examples when we were working with uh, big companies, uh, which are running like thousands of servers for databases only. And they were researching how can they move their databases from their bare metal environments to Kubernetes. And uh, definitely for these companies, they have tons of code around the existing solutions. They have tons of people working on these solutions. And it's extremely hard for them to transition to something which kind of limits their flexibility. Because going into the operator, you still have some limits, some boundaries. Of course, you can get At some point, very very flexible, but that would mean that you would need to rebuild the container images that are coming with the operator, or even play with the code and logic that operator has, or work closely with the vendor so that vendor would change the code and for you, right? And uh, definitely the level of changes and the degree of changes that these companies required are really not matching our roadmap. So they want really sp- hard specifics. They want, hey, we want this minor thing. We want this parameter to change, but you can do it like this. No, no, it doesn't work for this because we have this script somewhere that changes it and so on. So for them, this transition is extremely hard and they start building their own operators in these cases. I also know that some cloud providers um, are like IBM, uh, if you know IBM cloud, they have uh, their own operators to run their DBs. So once you click button in IBM to run the database, something happens uh, behind the scenes and the operator spins up the database and they have their own operators. Uh, they build it for themselves, right? So definitely there are use cases, but again, once we get to the point when uh, operators are standardized we have good approach good quality then we can start pushing hey we have this operator use it why, why do you want to feel your own
0: mm-hmm. uh, this yeah is a, i think that, that julian go
2: for it this is a bit the story of automation in general If you think about uh, how databases are used within the enterprise, um, we have customers from various industries. Let's say the manufacturing industry on the one side and financial industries on the other side. On the other side, you will see that they have vastly different patterns in using databases. Even if you take Postgres as an example, they're vastly different. And I mean, Postgres is a good example because Postgres is so versatile, you know, it it lacks certain things that you'll have to add like a proper cluster manager for replication. So there are so many countless possibilities on how to use it that um, the spectrum you will see in demand will, you know, the the more people you ask, how do you use a Postgres, The, the wider the spectrum gets. So if you as a software entrepreneur, want to create automation, it's also important that you get the right, right customers in the right order, because otherwise you cannot make possibly any sense of your roadmap, because customers will tear you apart, right? The one is driving you in the direction, whatever, where you have offsite replication and all that, and the other customer, you know, just doesn't care about that, because he focuses on, let's say, rather low-grade, cheap uh, databases for customer for developers to experiment with, And what we've seen over the years is that onboarding a new client, um, you know, may may take up to uh, one to two years before we really understood their particular needs uh, and gave them, let's say, those 5% of the features that they need, that their technical adoption can uh, proceed. That's why we, for example, have a a collaboration model with the client where the client can actually buy capacity of our development team to add those features to, to their, uh, to the automation in our product. Of course, there's, you know, uh, this firewall to say, well, this is not in our interest, but in most of the cases, it's, it's definitely unavoidable to adjust the software to the particularity, uh, particularities of uh, a large organization, because they have their policies and otherwise the transitions would be blocked. Once this is done, you know usage usually ramps up pretty quickly, but it's it's definitely one of the underlying problems in getting operators right is you know to find that eighty percent of features that um you know or you know that, that most of the people actually require and then leave the twenty percent to you know people writing their own operators and so on. But it's it's hard to it's hard to get that done right.
0: Mm-hmm you need the right level of standard, and obviously you can, cannot uh, probably, uh, as you said, Julian cannot cover any, every edge case, possible edge case, especially for large organization. Um, one, one way to, to, to see this operator and this gap and it's really about, I think, Sergey, you, you said this at the beginning of our conversation, it's about day two, a lot of day two operations that you need to perform on, on your uh, stateful uh, systems um, one of our members, Rick Vasquez, uh, with the uh, senior director uh, strategy initiative at Western Digital, Rick wrote um, a very interesting article in the new stack where he argued, perhaps, uh, that's an opinion that um, the integration with Kubernetes pattern, and I, I speak here about uh, stateful um, systems might uh, be done might have to be done by the, the vendor and and directly into the product, um, which I think is an interesting take. Uh, Nicola, do you have uh, Nick? Sorry, do you have any any uh, like opinion on that? Do you think do you think this 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 pattern is is the right one? Do you think that there could be something alternative um, that that could perhaps uh, you know also like reduce the lag between vendor releasing release on their on their uh, product and then the operator like catching to it.
3: Yeah. I think you know it, it's operators. Currently they are a mean to an end, right? So of course when it comes to software, the way you install software in Kubernetes currently, most of the time is if you want to have you know things quickly done, you use Helm and Helm will install an operator. So you manage all the, the Helm values of the operators. Uh, directly when installing the software. It's not like Helm is replacing an operator. So I think it, it's 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 quite common. I mean, I've I've seen it all the time. Instead of having Helm build your software and your logic and in, installing all the, you know, just basically the, the, the CRDs and without any operators, like it's installing the operators and then you can influence what you have. In your, in your I mean you can influence your your the content of your of your custom resources but um, so there is this so it can be useful for software vendors to package it and I think this this should be this is right like any software you want to uh, provide in communities if you want to um, apply best practices to your software in terms of data operation, management, scale, whatever, obviously operator, this is the way to go. Uh, But again, depending on, it's too broad at the moment. I believe we need like a something between the operator and what vendors want to achieve. But on the other side, if you're an end user and want to do some automation, um, and you want to provide your own team or like enhance your internal IP, uh, then yeah of course build like custom operator that are specific to your use case your own company use case because in the end it's just another way to automate it right so there, there are two two different angles which is which are both the if you want to automate things and provide ip for your own company specific very um, you know uh, small not small but contain use case Perfect. You don't need a standard for that. But if we are talking about more like broader, you know, vendor landscape, depending on what kind of software you want to sell and provide, uh, then we need some more. Um, we need. I believe we need an extra layer that can, you know, limit what you can do. Not necessarily limit, but uh, put some boundaries and just yeah, get some standards there. Yeah.
2: I guess if, if you think about um, the future of database development for a second, because talking about vendors, I guess we are talking about database vendors as well. The question is, if you think about uh, microservice in application architecture, um, and if, if you think that you know most databases nowadays, you know, people expect them to be distributed as well. So it's not enough to have, yeah, this is this one server database like Postgres used to be. And, um, and then you have to find your own cluster manager that I mean who wants to do that so um, modern databases, um, they tend to be distributed inherently. Uh, They have to solve complicated problems and they they may or may not have you know multiple processes to take care of all that. So the question is whether a vendor should you know use a standardized database automation framework of any sorts. And you know, adapt um, that native to the product so that a cloud native database in the future could inherently be built to be uh, operated in a distributed cloud environment. And I believe if you look at the history of automation, you know, earlier we mentioned Chef and Ansible and all the technologies, you know, I call them DevOps uh, um, generation one. Um, they have in common that um, they carried the heritage of, of human operators in, in their design. So the idea was that you have a physical or a virtual machine server, and you want to do to that server what a human person would do. And it was then data centers like Amazon who, ch- who changed the paradigm in the data center first, like ephemeral VM and persistent disk. You know, that, that whole thing was a game changer. And it laid the foundation for declarative automation with self-healing VMs or self-healing containers that later turned into, you know, persistent volumes and all that, where you can separate the lifecycle of the VM or container from the lifecycle of the data directory that's so important to a database. And if you think that databases will be that that start to be designed today, I mean, database research. Um, you know, I spent Two years in database research myself, you know. In, in my opinion, a lot of that database research is done by people, let's say, of advanced age, um, and uh, it's not necessarily that the database research embraces uh, cloud to a fullest degree. There is a trend to do that, but let's give it another another ten years or whatever, or five years. I believe that database design will be different. It will be more cloud clay- cloud native and. If you also then look at the commercials, like uh, the SSPL thing that, uh, you know, some database vendors uh, uh, now want to own the database as a service business entirely, you know, excluding that from their open source. Like if you put that together, I think there's a fair chance saying that, um, you know, the automation of databases will become inherent to the creation of databases to some sort, and that therefore vendors will play a, a large and important role in that. To what extent and exactly when this is happening is hard to predict but i think the direction is already set
0: yeah like how how senior you are in the space matters a lot <laughs> for human and database actually MongoDB CEO, i think it's him, it would say that said like yeah you need at least 10 years to build a, a solid database that was taken, uh, <laughs> that was a, a true thing, but maybe not a good thing for, to say for, from him, but, uh, you know, definitely for, 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 stability and, and awareness, like experience and therefore, um, experience and, uh, time matters a lot. Um, so I think, I think kind of the summary that I hear from all of you is that we need some, and the world uh, that were used were different boundaries, Stand, uh, standard, like uh, something in between. Um, so I think there is a consensus that there needs to be some, like there is something to be done. And ideally we want um, something that could be used across the industry and could be uh, open. Um, so I'm gonna ask this question to the three of you. Sergey, let's start by you, like what? Like, you know, if, if, um, if I give you a magic wand, like, what? How would you start this standard or community? Like, what do you think is missing uh, that could bring this this to the next level?
1: I I really love the point that Julian made about the cloud native databases because um, I know how hard it is to build uh, an operator for MySQL which was invented in the 80s and how easier it is. It's not easy, but easier a bit to create an operator from MongoDB, for example, Mm -hmm. which uh, is in much better shape. So if I would have a magic wand, I would definitely uh, incorporate this cloud native thinking into software development life cycles once you start developing something, think for the future, right? As we see and we discussed today, Kubernetes is becoming uh, de facto standard. So it's gonna be uh, a control plane by default sometime later and we want to make Kubernetes not so fun, right? We want to make it dull. And once we get to this point, once you have your product and you look at your product now, think about how this product is going to run on this platform of the future how it's going to work and uh, definitely each developer should think about it thank you uh, Sergei
0: julian what what do you think what you know this this missing missing piece like how would you shape it
2: i think um i have three things in my mind uh, that popped to my mind immediately Well, first of all, I would like to collect general principles about uh, automating data services. Um, I I wrote a script of a book um, a few years back, uh, collecting the most important ideas, explaining paradigms such as on-demand provisioning, how this relates to uh, of dedicated instances and how this relates to the ephemeral VM and the persistent disk problem and how, how these two paradigms go together. So, you know, get a basis for what actually data service automation nowadays is built upon so that you have a view and a perspective on this that goes beyond technology. Because Kubernetes is just another technology that will come and, and at some point it will go. But um, to understand what, what actually caused the change and, you know, the next level, that those paradigms need to be understood quite um you know, substantially. Then, 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 once you have that basic understanding on the level of principles, um, I, I, I think of a more best practice guide, where you think in the conjunction with a particular technology, how do you solve particular problems, let's say with Kubernetes, you need to translate those principles into best practices. And on this level, it's about um, having a, a more like a reference model to data service automation. Um, for example, let's say you start with a fresh team, like good intermediate developers, you know, mid aged people, some experience, uh, good programmers, you know, have seen some data services, but not exactly the ones you want to operate. How do you get that started? And I believe you should have, um, you know, some you know training material and best practices, they need to get to understand the data service first, w- what problems that data service solves, what would a human operator have to do, right? So that needs to be understood to a sufficient level. And then you need to think about proper abstractions and how to get this into operation. And this is basically like the, the understanding of the data service and planning, let's say, um, how do I respond to uh, network segmentations? Like is there, is there a leader election necessary? How do I test those, those edge cases that can really become problematic uh, if, you, if you sell that as a software and you are liable? So get, get that on a, on, a, on a best practice level right. So that let's say developers know what tests to write. And then the next thing is you wanna back that up with a framework that already takes the heavy lifting away. For example, if you wanna simulate a cluster failure, uh, in a split brain situation. that should be as simple as having a declarative test language, saying that you want you know, you want to have this, let's say five node cluster split in, um, in the network and, and you expect it to do this and exactly that. So those kind of things I, I think are important. So principles, best practices, and a proper framework that, that tie together, that is I think the future of operator development and data service automation
0: Nick do you have anything to add yeah, I think it's-
2: yeah actually it's kind of uh yeah i I
3: have the same idea not that I want to steal them but <laughs> 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 yeah I, I I totally agree and I would go one step further and I think this is exactly that this type of um you know we need to encapsulate this into if I had a magic wand, I would encapsulate all of that into a, not like part of the Kubernetes API, but into an API provided more like natively into Kubernetes, such as how do you backup? How do you uh, build your cluster? Is it sharding? Is it you know a cluster? All that in the same way that we have a CNI you know, CS and a CSI that is done by, I mean, this is in tree, but here it would be something else but that would be sitting by default, like uh, you know, kind of accepted by everyone by the the, the community, not the community and the users. Uh, like you can an add-on to Kubernetes, something you can install very easily. That's meant for databases or stateful application. That would be a way to also state that Kubernetes is ready for stateful application. Proof is that we have this nice you know, API where you can just plug in as a vendor. And on top of that, you have the, you know, the, the standard function like a backup fail or detect failure or react or export. I mean, there's some of it in Kubernetes today with snapshot and cloning, these kind of things. But it's only like not even touching the surface. Yes. When, when it's databases, there's so much more. If you look at other the solution, like um, I did like a DOK meetup uh, this, this week uh, in London around uh, how to back up. Uh, it was uh, Elasticsearch with, um, uh, with Kasten. That's a good one. Uh, with Canister, right? So uh, they have CRD that encapsulates what you want to do. And it's cloud native. It's just popping up containers and command lines. It's quite declarative, but we should bring this a, a bit like forward and so have something that is quite, you know, generic for all databases. Once we have this standardized API, then you can just plug in as a vendor and enforce your best practices and all these kind of things, right? So yeah, I think like it's really key.
2: I really love this idea. And you know, it's basically what I believe should be in the framework that I mentioned. So I, I think we are we are pretty well aligned here. However, the question is, if you think about such a a thing, such an you know, you know, an add-on or anything. It basically, there's the assumption that there is a common a common uh, denominator in in backups. And um, I, you know, I think one of the problems why this isn't there already is the way uh, people approach data service automation. Like, if it's very vendor based, for example, you see a lot of companies talking about one data service alone. And this is not a good foundation to start you know finding abstractions that that could benefit the entire ecosystem and there are rarely any company um, you know op- automating many data services at once and i think you really need to go through the automation of many data services to, to understand what backups actually are because they are so vastly different like data service can be and and therefore it's hard to find a community schema that somehow describes what a backup actually is and how backups um, uh, should be done. Um, We had to learn that the hard way ourselves. Uh, For example, if you think about logical backups like dump and restore, and then you come to Elasticsearch where they say, well, why not take a snapshot? And then you're looking into a point in time recovery where you have, let us say, a continuous stream of, of writer headlocks or anything. Like they are totally different and require different communication protocols in in backing up and restore and the question then would be what's the best abstraction to represent those backups beyond well you know having a backup schedule and 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 all that Um, is it possible on a technical level to have a common framework or would it more be like a an adapter based thing where you plug in strategies right yeah
3: i think adapter would be more Like, you know, think about it like a step function. At some point, you have to plug it in the right at the right level. And
2: and if you if you think about that, you're you're basically already connecting to the other idea I was trying to get across, which would be uh, operational models where you think about the data service first. You would think, you know, encourage the developer to think about how can you do backups in postgres? What are the different strategies you would go and, uh, you know, make a conscious choice which one to select for automation and also like, think of a questionnaire or something like that gives you some orientation in, in like, is this more like, like this or is it more like that? So that you have some guidance and development and don't run into all the traps uh, like again and again. And that's why I think is, is there should be multiple steps of abstraction and aiding uh, automation so that people don't get lost.
0: Mm-hmm. So as we can see, uh, Evan with one hour, or like <laughs> it's not enough to even come up with <laughs> something uh, like like even just we are just scratching the surface of how complicated this problem is. Uh, but we are reaching the top of the hour. Um, actually, this type of conversation is something that, that we do a lot at the DOK community. Um, the community is made possible by our sponsors. Um, today uh, we had Animes, Percona, and OnData. Thank you for being sponsor. Uh, that's what uh, makes the, the community possible. Uh, if you like the conversation or want to be part of it, please consider sponsoring. Uh, this was Meetup one twenty nine. Julian, Nick and Sergey. Thank you.
2: Thank to you oh, for having us.
0: Thank fun. you. Thanks.
2: I Thanks. appreciate that.
1: Thanks.
0: Thanks for watching. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you.
3: Bye.
0: Bart, we're done. We done job, everything. everybody.